0: We're going through the book of Romans in this series called A Great God, Amazing Salvation. We've been looking for clarity about the truth of the gospel. And so far, the apostle Paul has shown us that the gospel is not some lame message to be ashamed about. Rather, it's the power of God for salvation. It's not just our power, because that's not enough, it's too weak. We needed the power of God Himself. And the good news is is he has come in Jesus Christ. Now, this gospel becomes even clearer when we get to chapters 7 and 8. Last week, we looked at chapter 7, where Paul says that we are so hopelessly stuck in our sins that even God's law is somehow twisted to our own self-destruction. Paul says, the good I want to do, that I don't do. The evil that I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. So chapter 7 gives us this dark, horrible, ugly situation that humans are stuck in. We're all stuck in that. Which is why it's so amazing that after saying that, immediately in chapter 8, Paul begins by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the chapter ends by saying, there's no separation ever, ever from the love of God in Christ Jesus ever. So Romans 8 is this amazing chapter, and personally, it's made a profound difference in my life. Let me read to you chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am sure that neither death nor life Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this chapter, it's full of the most incredible promises. And if you have that, then you can go through life with an amazing calmness and a peace and a joy that can never be touched. How can you have that? Paul shows us in this chapter that the key is the Spirit in you. If you notice, Paul refers to the Spirit 19 times in this chapter. It's the work of the Spirit to give us the assurance and the strength to hold on to these promises and to persevere and overcome this life. So if you need some kind of strength, if you're going through weakness or insecurity or fear, then what you need now is the assurance of the Spirit. Now, in this chapter, I won't won't go too deep into any single passage here because what I want to do is I want to quickly survey with you the whole landscape of chapter 8. It's a breathtaking picture of how complete and amazing God's assurances are for us who are in Jesus Christ. And this landscape is huge. It, it, it's beautiful. It's cosmic in its scope. Now, what can we see here? There's three things that we can see that the Spirit assures us. The Spirit assures us of the new life. And in the second section, the Spirit assures us of the hope of glory. And lastly, it assures us of the inseparable love. So three things the Spirit assures us. The Spirit assures us of life, of glory, and love. Now, in this first section, the Spirit assures us of the new life in Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, who has the Spirit in them? Well, Paul says it's those who are in Jesus Christ. In other words, every believer has the Spirit in them. No matter how young or new you are, being a Christian, you have the Spirit sealed into you. Jesus says that John the Baptist baptized with water, but when he came he's baptizing with the Holy Spirit. Now what that means is when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ, God then seals immediately the Holy Spirit in them. And that seal is a way of is God's way of saying This person now belongs to me, and I belong to him. So, every believer, in other words, has the Holy Spirit in them. Well, what difference does that make? Is that just some spiritual reality that doesn't make any practical difference? No, no, no. It makes difference in everything, absolutely everything. Who's the Spirit? The Spirit is the Spirit of life. Down there in verse 10, literally, it says, the Spirit is life. Now, that's not a typo. It doesn't say the Spirit has life or the Spirit gives life. Literally, the Spirit is life. He is the fountain where the waters of life come bursting out of. And the Bible says, every person in Christ has the Spirit sealed into them. The, The fountain of life is in them. And therefore, your new life in christ those who are in christ will have this life eternal that no death can ever touch no matter what kind of death comes at you whether it's physical death spiritual death or emotional death all those death can never ultimately destroy you because the spirit of life is in you for one thing think about spiritual death see Paul begins by talking about the spiritual death. And he's making a contrast here between the flesh and the spirit. Now, the flesh is not talking about our fleshly physical bodies. No, the flesh is Paul's way of talking about ourselves that are weakened by our sinful tendencies, by our sinful weakness. Now, what Paul is saying in this passage is that If you live according to the flesh, meaning if you rely on yourself that is weakened by sin, if you rely on your own resources, on your own efforts, on your own works, if you rely on yourself to to achieve the requirements of God, to fulfill the righteousness that God requires from us, and to overcome your own sins, if you rely on yourself, that won't work that can only end in spiritual death. You're only going to become more and more selfish. You're only going to become more and more self-absorbed. You're only going to become more and more trapped by your own lust and greed. But rather than living by the flesh, you walk and live by the spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well. Remember, who, have, who has a spirit in them? It's those who are in Jesus Christ. It's those who rely not on themselves, but on Jesus Christ to be their Savior, to be their Lord, to be their righteousness before God. Those are the people who have the spirit. And to walk according to the spirit is to walk according to that hope, according to that grace, according to the promise of God in Christ. That's what it means, to walk according to the Spirit. Well, okay, so there's a contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. What difference does that make? Well, Paul here in the next verse talks about setting the mind on something. Now, what does setting the mind on something mean? To set the mind is referring to our mindset. It's referring to our fundamental mind and attitude towards God in life. What captivates you? What are you preoccupied with most of the time? What are you daydreaming about? Oh, what are you concentrating on and giving yourselves over to? That's what your mind has set on. That's what, what, that's what it means to set the mind on. And see, Paul is saying, if you live according to the flesh, then you're going to set your minds on the things of the flesh. Meaning, if you live by the flesh, in other words, if you rely on yourself, then you're going to keep thinking about yourself. You're going to keep thinking about your things, and you're going to end up thinking about the things and the flesh that is weakened by sin. You're going to end up with your sinful desires, and you're going to end in death. But those who walk according to the Spirit, meaning those who rely on God's grace in Jesus Christ, then your mind is going to become set on the things of the Spirit and of God. You're going to keep thinking about God and His grace and His righteousness and His Son, Jesus Christ. And see, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. If you rely on the Spirit, you walk according to the Spirit, then your mind is going to become more and more dominated by thoughts about God. Your heart is going to become more and more inflamed with the desire to love God, to serve God, to know God. In other words, what's happening there is there's an internal transformation happening. You're being transformed from the inside out. And who's doing that? Who's changing you? It's the spirit of life in you. The spirit is changing you from the inside out as you continue to rely on Jesus Christ, your Lord. In more technical terms, as you receive God's justification through his son Jesus, so also you're beginning to receive God's sanctification through his spirit in you. Now, what then does that imply? What what are the implications for that? Well, think about it. If this is true, and it is true, then that means anyone, absolutely anyone, can go to Jesus Christ and have a life well lived. You can change, truly, deeply, permanently change for the better. It doesn't matter what background you came from, whether you had a very rough, broken background, or if you've been in this ad- addictions that have been destructive in your life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. If you go to Christ, if you keep relying on Christ, then the Spirit is going to transform you from the inside out. You're going to change. It's the power of God Himself who's transforming you from the inside out. He, the Spirit is going to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, the righteousness of God, the grace of God, the glory of Christ is going to set your mind on those things. And slowly but surely, you're going to become kinder, you're going to become wiser, you're going to become braver, you're going to act more righteously. That's the Spirit in you. See, another thing that we can be assured of is that the spirit also helps us have a life that will live so it's not just spiritual death but even physical death paul says here the spirit is life because of righteousness but the body is dead because of sin we all know that we're going to die right we all know that and maybe the younger ones don't fully embrace this yet but one day we're going to die as one person said Your first breath is also one of the last that you will ever take. So we're all going to die. We're all going to be buried one day. That's just reality. But if you have the spirit of life in you, then you're going to rise again. No physical death can ultimately destroy you. Yes, you'll be buried just like Christ, but you'll also rise from the grave just like Christ. And therefore, look, if you have the spirit of life, in you, that's an assurance that not only will will spiritual death not be able to ultimately destroy you. No, no spiritual death can destroy you. You can have a life well lived, but also no physical death can destroy you. You will have a life that will live, right? And lastly, because the Spirit is in you, you can have a life that is well loved. And if you have a life well loved by the Father, then no kind of emotional death can ever ultimately destroy you. No matter what kind of grief or loss or frustration or disillusionment, nothing can ultimately destroy you if you have the rich love of the Father. And that is what we have. See, it says there, the Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. The Spirit is in every believer testifying to our hearts that you are the child of God. You are God's child, and therefore, freedom replaces slavery. Great love drives out that great fear, and we cry, Abba, Father. You know what's Abba? They say that in every culture, no matter what language you come from, when a baby starts to name one of the parents and calls them, The baby always says something like papa abba dada something like that and therefore look when it says there that we cry abba father that means that those who are in christ every time we cry out to god god hears our cries the way a loving parent hears the cry of their child it's amazing i mean just think about it as a parent When your child screams in pain, when your little child screams in pain, what do you do? You run to her. You comfort her. You embrace her. You pick her up, right? Your heart is stirred when your child is in pain. The Spirit in us means that when we cry out in pain to God, when we cry out in fear, when we cry out in in our grief, when we cry out in our loss, when we cry out in our rejection, God hears our cries and He'll respond to our cries the way a loving parent responds to their child. You're well-loved. In Christ, you have the attentive, rich, intense love of the Father. You are well-loved by the Father. And see, if you have that, then you can go through this life. You can handle whatever life throws at you whether it's loss whether it's rejection whether it's disappointments no kind of emotional death can ever ultimately destroy you because you are well loved by the father himself and see if you take all of that the spirit in you the holy spirit assures us in christ of this new life that no spiritual death no physical death No emotional death can ever ultimately destroy because this life is an eternal life that is abundant and rich. And therefore, you know that in the Spirit, in Jesus Christ, you have a life that can be well-lived, you have a life that will live, you have a life well-loved. That's the rich, deep assurance of the new life we have in Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean life becomes easier, like a bed of roses? No, absolutely not. In fact, the Bible seems to suggest that life becomes harder when you become a Christian. See, Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, you're gonna have to put to death the deeds of the body. In other words, you're gonna have to kill those sinful habits, those selfish plans. You're gonna have to stop all of that. You're gonna have to put to death those things. So, even if you have this new life in Christ, there's also a kind of death that you're going to have to go through. See, Paul even says outright that you're going to suffer as God's child. You're going to suffer with him. So, there's a kind of death and there's suffering in this new life, but we persevere. Why? What helps us persevere? What strengthens us? to keep moving forward in, the, in walking according to the Spirit, what can help us? That's because, number two, the Spirit assures us of the hope of glory. Now see, in this next section, in verse 18 to 30, Paul bookends this section with the word glory. See, verse 18, it says, there is a glory that is to be revealed to us. And in verse 30, Those whom God calls, he glorifies. It begins in glory. It ends in glory. And everything else in between points to our future glory. So yes, there's suffering today, yes. But there's glory tomorrow. Glory is certain. See, how can you and I be absolutely utterly certain of that glory? So much so that we have strength today. The key is the Spirit in us. Because the Spirit in us is both the pledge and the partner to that glory. He's the pledge and the partner. On the one hand, the Spirit in us is the pledge to that future glory. See, Paul talks here about creation in us. He says creation has been subjected to futility. You know what that means? If you look back at the Old Testament, when Adam sinned, God's judgment came, not just on Adam, but on all creation. It's, Paul says it's now been subjected to, to, to it's, it's living in bondage to corruption, right? It's decaying, it's disintegrating. I mean, that's an astonishing passage. Because when you look at the sunsets, you look at the rainforests, you look at the mountains, you look at the galaxies, oh my, it's astonishingly beautiful, it's mesmerizing. And the Bible says all that, all that beauty is just a shadow of what it used to be. It's under a curse now. It's already deteriorating. That beauty is already distorted. You know, if you remember your physics, uh, the second law of thermodynamics basically says, I think, that the universe is falling apart. It's disintegrating, right? But the Bible says one day, Creation, the universe, is going to be liberated from the curse. It's going to be restored and it's going to be astonishingly beautiful. You know, you look around, you look at the colors that you see and you enjoy in creation today, those colors is going to seem dull and lifeless compared to its real, true colors when it's liberated. All that we enjoy in creation right now, when you take that scenic hike, when you smell a fresh cut grass, when you feel the sensation of the breeze, all of that that you're experiencing in creation right now, it's all going to pale in comparison to that restored creation, to that glorified creation. And see... This is important because Paul says, creation is going to be restored because we are going to be restored. See, yes, right now, you know, we we know that hope, but right now we're struggling with doubts. We're struggling with fears. We're struggling with challenges. But one day, we're going to receive adoption as sons, Paul says, which means as God's children, one day, we're going to fully enter into God's love. We're going to be fully immersed into his attentive love for us. There won't be any more distance. There won't be any more shadows or darkness between us. So yes, right now, you know, we're living in dying bodies. I mean, I can feel it in my lower back. We're living in dying bodies in this broken world. But one day, Paul says we're going to receive the redemption of our bodies. Our body is going to be restored. We're going to be set free from cancer, free from disabilities, free from our joint aches, free from death. We're going to be in a glorified body, in a glorified universe. It's going to be absolutely amazing. So we have this rich, deep, thick hope in Jesus Christ. But how we draw, how do we draw strength from that future glory to our present suffering? Paul says the key is the spirit. See, he says, "We have the first fruits of the spirit." We have the first fruits of the spirit. Now, what does first fruits mean? Well, the first fruits is the first part of the harvest that we get. And that first part of the harvest is a sign that the rest of the harvest would soon follow in due time. It's going to be just as bountiful, just as good. The first fruit is a sign of the coming harvest. We, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, means that when God gave us the Spirit, the Spirit is a pledge, it's a sign of a coming harvest, of a greater salvation and glory that is to come. And that's amazing, because think about it. If the Spirit, a person of the triune God is the pledge, then what is the kind of glory that is yet to come? It's going to be utterly radiant. It's going to be beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. It's going to be glorious. And we are certain of this glory because the Spirit in us is God's pledge to us today it's in us even now it's beginning he's the pledge and also he's a partner to our glory see we're not yet there yet and so paul says you know the whole creation has been groaning and we ourselves who have the first fruits are groaning right now that word groaning is a very strong word it's a it's a word that is an expression of pain even the even like the cry of someone who's facing death. So we're groaning because we're suffering, we're falling apart. And yet, what's astonishing is, Paul says, the Spirit himself is groaning. Why would the Spirit groan? I mean, we're groaning because, you know, we're suffering, we're falling apart. But why would the Spirit groan? The only reason the Spirit would groan is because we're groaning. The Spirit empathizes with us. The Spirit shares with us our pain and our longing for that final freedom and glory. He he identifies with us so deeply, He completely understands. And therefore, if you're a Christian, you should never feel like you're completely alone because in you is the perfect partner who completely understands you, who always perfectly identifies and empathizes with you. In fact, he's the partner who never fails to pray for you. So it says there, we do not not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Dr. Kim Keller, he explains this by sharing a personal story. He says that in the first year out of college, he had a relationship with this girl but they broke up. And so during that time, Dr. Keller was crying and and praying, great groaning. Lord, please don't let let this breakup happen, right? But today, you know, Dr. Keller says, looking back at that time, looking back at it now in hindsight, he says, that was a stupid prayer. (laughs) But during that time, he didn't feel that way. And he later on married a, different woman and happily married so but at that time he didn't know that he didn't feel that way and so he was praying he was praying but they still broke up did God deny his prayer at that moment yes and no you know why because Dr. Keller says in every prayer there's a core part and a stupid part now the core part is the groaning is the core part says, Lord, please help me. Please give me this. Please help me become this person. This is what I think I need, Lord. Please help me. See, that's the core part. And then there's the stupid part that says, and Lord, I think this woman is the one that can make that happen. See, we do not know what we ought to pray for because, We don't know every single thing. We don't know how these things will affect our ultimate future. We just don't know. And therefore, we don't know what to pray, what will always be the best for us. Wouldn't it be great if we always knew and we always prayed and worked for what would be our best? But we're not. We can't. But see, the passage says, the Spirit does. See, it says the Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God. The Spirit knows. He always knows what's best for us, and He's always praying for us. He's always making a way for for our ultimate best. See, through the Spirit, God is making it absolutely certain that you and I are headed for utterly radiant glory. Always, always. He's a pledge. He's the partner. And therefore, we can say with Paul, with absolute conviction and confidence, that we know that all things, all things work together for good, for those who love God all things. And this is not just a hunch. This is not just optimism. We know, we know with absolute conviction that we're headed for utterly radiant glory, that God is always making a way for what's best for us. Even though we do stupid things, foolish things, even though evil people do things to us, God is always making a way so that we end in glory because the spirit is in us as his pledge and as our partner to that hope of glory so yes there's suffering today but there's glory tomorrow and that glory is certain therefore since we have such a hope paul says let us wait for it with patience today in our suffering in our trials in our challenges We wait with patience, with endurance, with perseverance, with faithfulness, always being steadfast and immovable, giving ourselves fully to God and His purposes. We wait because we're certain of the glory tomorrow. In fact, all of this, all of this is completely sealed in by number three, and that is the spirit assures us of the inseparable love of god see see in this last section paul is starting to conclude this section from chapters 5 to 8 he's making a conclusion now he says what shall we say then to these things in other words what shall we say then looking back at all that god has done for us looking back at god even giving the Spirit as an assurance for us right now, what then shall we say? What then can we conclude? What does this all prove to us today? It's that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Now you may say, okay, I've heard of that. But it doesn't feel real it doesn't make any real difference in my life well paul actually gives us five questions to think about here and these five questions ought to help us understand and sense god's utter love for us he says who can be against us who will give us all things who shall bring charges, who shall condemn, who shall separate us from love. And see, if you just try to answer that without the gospel, as one commentator says, what are the real answers here? If you take away God's promises, if you take away the gospel, if you take away God's love, what should be the real answers here? Here's the real answers. Who can be against us? Who? Everything. You know, life is not easy. Life is incredibly difficult. And the world is not really a friendly, welcoming place that's looking out for you. No, the world is a hostile place. Everything's working against you. Even your sins inside you, it's always dragging you down. It's always trying to overpower you and make you, make you go into these sinful, destructive patterns, right? And the Bible says the devil and his forces are always working, always seeking to destroy you, to steal from you, to kill you. And at the end of life, at the very end, what can you do? Death wins. Death wins and you can't do anything about it, right? Who can be against you? Everything. In fact, who who shall bring charges against us? Who shall condemn us? So many people. The Bible says the devil always, always keeps a list of everything you've done. And he's trying to use that to condemn you to whisper in your ears and to make you feel guilty and down and broken down. He's accusing you, he's pressing charges against you, and you know that you can't deny these things because even your own conscience is haunting you about the things you've done. And deep down, you know you're probably even worse than all that. Perhaps you even have human opponents, human critics, human, human enemies. Who are trying to bring you down. So there are so, so many witnesses around you who are bringing charges against you. Well, who can give us the things that we need to overcome these things? No one. No one can help you go through that. No one can help you overcome these things. And therefore, who shall separate us from love? Everything. The world, the flesh, the devil. They're all dragging us away further and further away from real, uninterrupted love, from life, from glory. So if you just look at these five questions, what should be the real answers? Here's the real answers. We're opposed by forces far more powerful than us, and we can't do nothing about it. We're being condemned by so many witnesses around us, and we can't even deny it. We have no answer, and we have no one to help us. And therefore, ultimately, the real answer is we should be separated forever from life, from glory, from love. We should be. But, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? For the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the assurance that we have, that God has given us through Christ Jesus. And the Spirit in us assures us of this. So much so that Paul can say, we are more than conquerors who overcome this life and everything that this life throws at us. If you have that, if you have that assurance of the new life, of the hope of glory, of this inseparable love of God, if you have that assurance, then you can overcome anything that life throws at you. Any challenges, any tragedies, any sorrows, any grief, any fears, any doubts, all of it you can overcome. Nothing can ultimately destroy you because you're assured by God himself, that his grace for you is enough and more than enough. You will have the new life. You will have the hope of glory. You will always have the inseparable love of God. Do you have that? Only if you have that can you have the peace that you need and the joy that you need to make it through this life. Do you have that? I'm not asking if you know about it. Do you have that? See, we've been looking at the book of Romans. We're about halfway through the book of Romans now. But as we went through it, has there been a light bulb moment inside you? Have you come to a point where you just said, wait a minute. I've heard of these things. I've known about these things. But now I understand. Now I can taste and see the Lord myself. I was blind, but now I see. Do you have that? What you need to do is you go back to Jesus Christ, look at him, see all the promises of God bound up in him and how you, by faith, is united to him. And the spirit in you is now assuring you of these promises. Go back to that. And now go pray that the Spirit make all these assurances real in your heart. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, this chapter is just so rich, so amazing, Lord, that it's hard to wrap our heads around it. Lord, you give us such assuring promises our sufferings today, Lord, may the Spirit in us truly open up our hearts, truly open up the eyes of our minds to understand, to embrace, and to draw strength from your grace in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you. We we pray for forgiveness, Lord, for the many times that we lived life by the flesh, relying on ourselves instead of you living as if grace has not been given us. Lord, forgive us. Help us go back to walk according to the Spirit, to go back to Jesus Christ our Lord, so that our minds may be set on you, so that our hearts may be filled with you. Lord God, may your Spirit apply these things upon our heart so that we may find life and glory and love in you in a fresh new way today. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whom is our hope of glory. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray that you and your family continue to be safe. God bless you.